What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, the weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant, join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, reform movement, and beyond. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I'm the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, celebrating its 25th year and found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Transmitting from a fortified bunker under a ramshackle reefer radio warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hempresent is satirist, writer, yippie, activist, and counterculture icon Paul Krasner, who will be joining me in just about 170 seconds. In the mid-1960s, America was beginning to wake from the relative complacency of the bland, conformist, post-war slumber state it had been in while its government engaged in a Cold War military buildup of unparalleled proportions. The military-industrial complex was cementing its stranglehold on the American machine and exploiting the antecedent manufacturing infrastructure surplus that was the result of the decade and a half after the World War II began. The Southern struggle for civil rights was fomenting into a national movement for social justice for Americans of color, and the war in Vietnam was advancing as young American men and women were round up and shipped off to foreign jungles, some to be killed or kill. 
Americans were recoiling from the trauma of a presidential assassination and trying to grasp how the murder of such a promising young torchbearer could be committed in plain sight without any acceptable explanation. Women in America were becoming dissatisfied with being perpetually trapped in the kitchen, bound by the aprons of male dominance, and they were restless, the ones not on Mother's Little Helpers, that is. A young band of Liverpudlians were bathing their brains in color, courtesy of Sandoz or Owsley, and in preparation to lead a generation into a magical mystery tour of contemplative discovery. And a short, thin Jew boy with a rhyme and a guitar was already moving poetic mountains and rattling the foundations of an establishment that was rancid and rotten from the foundation upward. Some 50 years later, America finds itself in deep social and political decay again, this time in a burgeoning techno-surveillance security state that has been erected to protect and support an economic corporate megastructure built upon conquest and extreme centralization and commoditization. There's not much good asset available anymore, and Bob Dylan now sells cars on cable TV. Two of the Beatles are dead, and America finds itself mired in deserts rather than jungles, as its illustrious leaders have once again careened the nation into an abyss of unwinnable perpetual combat. As we currently face the menacing specter of a possible pathological, narcissistic, plutocratic, oligarch, apprenticedent, another unlikely Jew has come along to speak obvious truths to Orwellian power. It is a time not all that unlike the mid-60s, but this time the Kardashians have replaced Ozzy and Harriet in a grotesque caricature of the past. Thank God some of the gems of the 1960s and beyond have not lost all their luster and are still shining today as much as ever through the frosted haze of complacent ignorance. And one of those gems is counterculture icon Paul Krasner, and I'm beyond honored that I have my friend here in the virtual studio with me today. Welcome, Paul, to Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Well, I'm glad to be there. I'm glad to be anywhere. (laughs) Well, I don't know where you are, but you're here with me today in this virtual studio, and that's what counts to me. Paul, you published America's first underground newspaper, The Realist, in 1958, which is the year that my mother published me, by the way. What was the idea behind The Realist, and what were the influences that primed you at that time? Well, I was doing freelance stuff for Mad Magazine, and more than once, the editor said, no, this is not for adults. And there was no adult satirical magazine at the time. Bill Gaines was the publisher when I complained to him about being censored, really. And he said, well, you know, they just had reached a million and a quarter circulation of, of teenagers. So I said to Gaines, I guess you don't want to switch horses in midstream. And he said, not when a horse has a rocket up its ass. And, <laughs> and this was like a booming voice coming from the clouds. And it was my marching orders. And all the other countries, there was Oz, which was a satirical magazine in Australia. There was private something in, in England. Even Russia had a satirical magazine. And America didn't have it. And so I just decided I would put a satirical magazine out for grown-ups. And, you know, I had no really previous putting out a magazine. I didn't have any template from another magazine, so I had to make it up as I went along. And it resonated with people because I realized that if I was like the only Martian on my block, but I didn't think that was symbolically true because if I was the only Martian on my block, then there was no hope. But I learned that I was not the only one there as people... The first subscriber was Steve Allen, 
And huh. he sent out a bunch of subscriptions, including Lenny Bruce. And Lenny Bruce sent out several subscription gifts from him. And, and that's how it was like a Malthusian way of increasing circulation. I had no advertising budget. And so it was word of mouth. It was, you know, better than advertising because it was free. And when people that you knew recommended something to you, it made a difference in their deciding to check it out. Paul, is The Realist still in publication? No, it, I stopped it in 2001 with the last issue, but all of the issues are available free online. Anybody listening can just Google The Realist Archive Project, and everything is there. Speaking of Lenny Bruce, five years after Lenny Bruce's death, Groucho Marx said, quote, I predict that in time Paul Krasner will wind up as the only live Lenny Bruce. You edited Lenny Bruce's autobiography, How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. What kind of person was Lenny Bruce behind the scenes and away from the key lights? Well, he was pretty much on stage. He had to, you know, it was a different, it was a different form, and he had a large audience. But the thing is, he wanted to have as much freedom on stage as he did in his living room. So in that sense, you know, his point of view was the same. It might have developed out of a conversation he had in his house. But he was curious, and he would ask questions and then see the absurdity of, it, of the answers. So he was fun to travel around with, but, you know, he was re- arrested so many times, that, and, and the clubs where he wanted to perform would not happen because they were threatened by the cops, the vice squad, that they would lose their liquor license if Lenny played there. So, you know, it affected him. It affected him because uh, uh, it wasn't his income and it wasn't his satisfaction of making people laugh. And he was scared of going to prison. And it wasn't even, he didn't break any law. The obscenity laws had been ruled by the Supreme Court as not obscene if it had redeeming social value. And, and he certainly did. It's how, how I did with anything that was that kind of offensiveness in the realist. But the thing is that what he really got arrested for was his targets of organized religious leaders. And that was really a taboo then, which, which, which he broke through. But there were no laws for blasphemy, so they couldn't bust him for that. So they busted him for obscenity, even though he wasn't breaking the law with his performances. We could really use a Lenny Bruce today. You were one of the original Merry Pranksters. What was it like dropping acid with Ken Kesey? Did you know that you would spark a psychedelic revolution that impacted the entire world? And I think is a work still in progress. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I wasn't on the bus. I was, I was an honorary prankster. I was on when they had a, a reunion of the pranksters. I, I went on that trip. And they would read the real estate. We, we, we knew each other were in sync as they were going across the country and as I was putting out the magazines. And it was a whole bunch of people who were on this psychedelically painted bus who went from state to state. And it was like kids wanted to run away with the circus. There was that feeling about it. Do you know that right now on Netflix, they finally made a movie, a documentary out of all the film? They were filming on the whole entire trip, of course, which was chronicled in the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, the book by Tom Wolfe in the 60s. Did you know that the movie is out and you can actually watch the whole trip? Oh, I did see that, yes. There were some interesting things there, like when 
Jack Kerouac was there, and he was kind of offended by these people. They were so silly, whereas he was very serious novelist. Uh, there were other little things I noticed. Yeah, Leary was uh, kind of annoyed when they showed up unannounced also, I think. Yeah, yeah. They became good friends later, but there was a, a difference between them, and they were both on the same side, but Leary was, in some sense, an elitist, and he loved to give acid to celebrities and people in power. For example, he turned on Claire Booth Luce and her husband. They were the publishers of Time magazine and Life magazine. And soon after that, Life magazine had a cover story about the positive things about acid. And at the other end of that spectrum, Ken Kesey was more of a populist. You know, he had a humility. We, we were at a party once, I remember, and we were in, in the kitchen hanging around, and somebody came in, and Kesey reached out his hand and uh, to, to shake with the couple who walked in, and he said, hi, I'm Ken. So he had a lot of charisma, and therefore he could afford to have humility. I am talking to Paul Krasner. We're going to take a very quick pause for the cause because there's flaws in the laws. And hear a message from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Boober vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Boober Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Paul Krasner. Paul, I'm just curious, what is your reaction to these two words, Donald Trump? I never heard of him. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you that he, you know, he's, he's scary, but what's more frightening are the people who look at him like some kind of cult leader. But I like it that it's revealing how he's saying out loud what so many Republicans believe, but have to, what want to pass as humans. <laughs> And so 
it's just, you know, he is such a liar, and then he lies about his lies. And the latest example is when he was told by a reporter that he was being endorsed by David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, I never knew, I never heard of him, I never met him before. And then when it found out that he had, he said, oh, well, I heard... I." He said he had a bad earpiece. He had a bad earpiece, and that's why... But then he admitted, he said, I, he, he repeated the word. He said, no, I, I never heard of David Duke. So that, he, that was a lie, because he was obvious he had remembered him. You could say it was a huge lie. A huge lie. <laughs> but, you know, and it, what was interesting to me is what happens with the process, because all of these millions of dollars that go to commercials for candidates, that's why the media love to make it look like a horse race, because they want those commercials, because they get a lot of money. And Donald Trump did not have to take those commercials and pay for them with his own money, because he was such a good get, as they say in the media. Everybody wanted to interview him, and it lifted up their ratings, and he knew that, and he was very shrewd. So they made more money, perhaps, on the ratings, because when you have so many people watching a TV show, the result is that they can charge more money for commercials. So it was just a vicious cycle in terms of making him, you know, it's the very first time he announced it, he had hired 50 people to come to his speech. You know, and then that started it off. And that is, his life has been like that. You know, he started being well-known when he did that book, The Art of the Deal. But I found out that he had bought 20,000 copies of the book himself. <laughs> and so that's what made it a bestseller. So he's consistent anyway. Well, we, uh, we're going to need a hell of a lot of popcorn because this is going to be a pretty interesting double feature, that's for sure. Paul, uh, about you, George Carlin said, quote, Paul's own writing in particular seemed daring and adventurous to me. It took big chances and made important arguments in relentlessly funny ways. I felt deep down that maybe I had some of that in me too, that maybe I could be using my skills to better express my beliefs. The realist was an inspiration that kept pushing me to the next level. There was no way I could continue reading it and remain the same. How did it make you feel to have one of the century's comedic geniuses praise you like that? I was bubbling with being graced like that because he had influenced me. But Carlin, you know, he and Lenny were very, very similar. The difference was that Lenny didn't have a script or anything. He would have a little clip he wanted to read from and then talk about it. Whereas Carlin, he wrote everything down and then memorized it. But their points of view were the same. What they had both in common was irreverence for hypocrisy and cruelty. There were others like that, too. I got almost the same thing, that Louis Black said that he started reading The Realist when he was 15, and it changed his life. Matt Greening, who later created The Simpsons, he told me he started reading The Realist when he was 14. And so it's very gratifying to influence people who have influenced other people. So that was the thing. When George Carlin said those words about me that made me shiver with gratitude, I thought that even now, if people didn't ever hear of my work, that they were learning from George Carlin and his brilliant approach to making people laugh and think at the same time.
and I just felt that it didn't matter that they didn't ever hear of me. It was just satisfying that I influenced somebody who influenced many, many, many more people. George Carlin, I think, was, he called me up once when he had an HBO special coming on, and he called, he said, you got to listen, he said, you got to watch. It's my first 10 minutes are going to be about abortion. So he was really, because again, that was one of the taboos, uh, and, and he knew that I had been running an underground abortion referral service when it was uh, illegal. And I didn't plan that, but I interviewed a, I can say his name now because he's deceased, Dr. Robert Spencer. He was in Ashland, Pennsylvania, and he ran a clinic, and he never charged no more than 100 And if it were poor people, he would charge maybe $5. And when African Americans who were not allowed at this time in the early 60s to stay at the motel there, he built a room for them to stay overnight in, at his clinic. And he was also a, a physician and went down into the coal mines to treat the miners who had uh, black lung diseases. So he was really a hero. And it turned me into, uh, from a satirist into an activist because I ended up facing two district attorneys. I ended up being subpoenaed by two district attorneys, in uh, both of them in different cities in New York. And one was in, at Liberty, New York, and, and they said that they were going to have the grand jury testify, uh, have me testify there, so uh, the cops will come here unless you want to give us some information. And so I said, I, I better check with my lawyer. I didn't have a lawyer then, so I just went out and I called the doctor that was local there, and, and he said, they're bluffing, because they told me that they taped it. He said, they're bluffing. They, they, they never said any, I never said anything to them about that. So I went back to the DA's office, and he said, well, what did your war lawyer say? And I said, oh, he said I should just keep on doing what I'm doing. He said, okay, the cops are going to be here at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock came, and he said, okay, you can go home now. It was a bluff. I am talking to Paul Krasner on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take another quick break and hear from our sponsors. Come right back for our last question. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. 
No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back for the final questions for Paul Krasner on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Paul, in France, not long ago, many contributors to the French publication Charlie Hedbow were murdered in cold blood in their offices because of their depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. What are your thoughts on that? Can satire go too far or are there no sacred cows? Are there no boundaries for irreverence and ridicule? Well, there shouldn't be, but, you know, religions can be so, have so much, uh, many zealots who, who use their religion as an excuse to, to do insane things. So it was a tragedy that, that they assassinated those car- cartoonists, and I was shocked by it. The cartoonists in here began to realize how much, it was really the paradox of America, you know. There were so many things about this country that, are cruel and unfair and unjust, but at the same time, we have the freedom to say what we want about it. So it's a, it's a paradox. You were a founding yippie with the Youth International Party, and to that I say, steal this podcast. What happened to Abby Hoffman? Do you buy the, the story? Which story? That he committed suicide in a hotel, or a motel. Oh, he committed suicide. He had tried before. Were the 80s hard on him? Was it more than that? Well, he was. Uh, it was frustrating because he was manic depressive, and there was such an exciting time when they were fighting against the war. When the war ended, the Vietnam War, Jerry Rubin became a Wall network. Guy. Uh, he, uh, you know, it was, it was called a network, but it was really a Ponzi scheme. And uh, Rennie Davis from the anti-war group that he became a public relations for the 13-year-old guru, uh, uh, 13-year-old guru, you know, which was such a ripoff. But uh, so people had to do something with the energy that they had used during the war. Well, Paul Krasner, uh, you know, I just got to say that you are a giant in your field. There are many standing on your shoulders. You have contributed so much. In so many ways, I could talk to you for an hour, man, but my time is starting to run out. Are there any comedians or satirists right now that excite you? Well, Chris Rock, certainly. Sarah Silverman, Louis C.K. There's others who, who are continuing the tradition of, of, as George Carlin said, finding where the line is and then step over it. Well, Paul Krasner, much love to you, my brother. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's so great to talk to you again. It's been a long time. My friendship with you is uh, in inverse proportion to how how seldom our paths cross. (laughs) Right on, bro. Absolutely. Well, well, please stay in touch, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, my bro. Anytime. Take care. Have fun. You bet. Now I want to get to a weekly feature of him presented on CannabisRadio.com, and it's the quote of the week, and here it is. Quote, in the halls of justice, the only justice is in the halls. Those are the immortal words of Lenny Bruce. 
That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. Email me at hempresent at gmail.com. I'll give that email again in a few seconds. I want to thank my power peeps in the control room, Hannah and Brasco, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more cannabis confabulation and reefer repartee with some hempy hero on a journey to justice. Because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice. Because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and toke it easy. And don't forget to email me at hempresent at gmail.com. The Hempresent theme song, Take Back the Plant, is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of myself. Turn up the music, maestro. I'm out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.